so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful that you're joining us online. I know many of you, thank you very much. I, I know that many of you are still uh, at home and we're thankful that you've, you've tuned in with us today and, and I'm thankful uh, that you're here. I want us to start by praying together. So would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, today we come with a heart of, of hunger and expectation, asking that your Holy Spirit move among us. Father, in this day where some are still at home online and, and, and Lord, we're, we're beginning to gather back together, I thank you for this gathering. I pray, Father, you would move today. Lord, with joy, we turn our face to you. And I pray that you would use your word to make us more like you. Give us understanding, Lord, and move our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, I'm, I'm not sure that everything's gonna go as planned. 2020, 20, or 2020 has definitely been uh, a strange year, but if things go like I hope it goes, um, September the 12th will be the kickoff for my beloved Sooners. Uh, uh, supposedly, they're supposed to kick off college football. And, and, and I don't know if you know this about me, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I know there's a lot of OSU fans, so don't judge me right now, okay? Um, Christy, don't judge me, okay? Um, um, but, you know, I, I grew up an OU fan, um, and, and, and I have to be an OU fan. I have to be. I just, I can't, I don't have an option because I, I grew up in more on land my family got in the land run. Okay, and my family, they were lost. And so I bet they were original Sooners. I think they probably stole it, okay? And, um, and so they needed Jesus and they got saved eventually, but, but, but some of them. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I can remember growing up uh, at my house, and um, you know, I grew up in Moore, which if you know where Moore is, it's, it's between Norman and Oklahoma City, right, right there. And, um, and growing up, for me, uh, um, you know, Saturdays centered around OU games. I mean, I mean, even though I'm a typical OU fan, I didn't actually go to OU like most OU fans. They didn't actually go there. Um, but, but, but I grew up, and, and names like Barry Switzer were revered in my house, okay? Um, Billy Sims, we would talk about the grace of Jesse Owens. Oh, grace and that, those feet. Um, you know, now, you know, names like Brian Mead, Hey, he's one of our church members playing linebacker for OU this year. So, so we're excited about that. Um, so, so these names, I mean, I, I can remember growing up learning about Sooner Magic. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are just mad at me because I just said that. But, um, but, but you know, the, these, were, these were part of our, our lives. And, and I've thought long and hard about my, my journey of, as an OU fan. And I, I got to be honest, probably... If I grew up in Alabama, I might be an Alabama fan or, a, or, an, or an Auburn fan. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but when I look back at my life, my, it just, it's just what I grew up with. You know, it's similar in church. My, my grandfather, Les Wall, was, a, was this rough auto mechanic in Oklahoma City. 
And, um, and as a younger man, he got, got saved. And you know, that, that moment not only changed Les Wall's life, it changed the course of our entire family. And, and you know, my, my, my Les Wall gets saved, goes to South Lindsay Baptist Church and, and starts going there and, and, and starts growing in the Lord and, and he, he ends up um, marrying Hattie Wall or Hattie Turner. She was the one who, it, like my, our Turner Street is what's in Moore. It was my grandmother's family. And, uh, and he marries Hattie Wall and, or Hattie Turner and they get, they, they raise their, their seven children in church at South Lindsay Baptist Church. And, and you know, as we grew up, I watched, uh, you know, my, my dad's siblings, they all raised their kids in church. So I was one of those kids that I, I was a Baptist before I was a Christian, okay? I, I went to South Lindsay Baptist Church exactly nine months before I was born. And I grew up in this, in this church that was, um, had some great leaders. I mean, Paul Salyer was my pastor growing up. And, and when I think about my church, um, I, I, it was, it shaped my life. And, and these pastors that would come in, I watched my, my family, my aunts and uncles, and, and they were like, look, our, I'm part of this congregation. And, and so I got work to do. Because I go to this church and I'm part of this congregation, it's my responsibility to work in my church. And you know, this is what I learned growing up. So, so as a kid, uh, we worked at the church. My mom was the church librarian. Um, and, uh, and then my dad was a deacon. My uncles were deacons. And, and, and my family worked at the church. I didn't even realize as a teenager that I could skip church. It wasn't an option for me. I mean, I mean, it didn't matter if we had prom or whatever. I mean, if, if prom was Saturday night at, you know, 8 a.m., my parents were going, hey, time to get up. I was like, okay. I didn't even think, I didn't even ask to miss. I didn't think I could. Um, and, and so this is just how it was. We were serving in the life of our congregation. And, and I'm grateful for that. That was the heritage that I had. Now, now you know what? When it, you know, when it comes to my understanding of church leadership and the way a church should function, really, I just grew up in this, I didn't know the terms at the time, but, but I grew up in a single elder congregational church. That's how I grew up. Now, I don't know if you thought about how the Bible describes this church or maybe the church you grew up in. But, but I would argue that, that most people, when they, when they go to church and they, they just look at how their church functions, that, that really they may slip into like their college, favorite college football team. You know, it's possible that, that, that most people, well, I would argue that most people don't really take the Bible and, and evaluate, is my church run according to the scriptures? Does the Bible really speak to how a church ought to be governed and ought to run? And does the Bible speak about the leaders of the church? You know, as I look at my life, at 19 or 15, God called me to be a preacher. And then, you know, I was still at South Lindsay. I learned. I got to preach a few times. At 19, uh, I was in a sophomore in college and and, and I had the opportunity to go work at a church and I left South Lindsay at that point and I've been, began in that pursuit of being a pastor. And you know what I just realized is that 
you know, because of my background, I, I just thought, well, I'm going to be called to a congregation and there's going to be people there that are going to feel like I got some work to do. I need to join with these pastors like what I watched my whole life and, and we're going to serve the Lord together and go share the gospel with the world. And that's really what I've done. Now, what I want us to do today is, is we're in this series on the church and today we're going to turn our face to church leadership. And, and I think this is really important for us because, because the Bible speaks to how a church should run. And, and, and what I want us to do is be able to, 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 to grow in our faith and grow in our understanding of the Bible, to, to, to recognize that the Bible speaks to these things and to evaluate our lives based on what the Scripture says. And this is very important as a congregation. And the Bible speaks to leadership. Now, we're going to look at, at 1 Timothy. Now, when you think about the book of Timothy, and, and we're in the series over the next several months, we're going, to, we're going to look at, we're calling the series The Church to Gather in a Changing World. And, and you know, the Bible speaks to the importance of gathering, like the, on, the, on the video that we just saw, that's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and I want to challenge you to memorize that passage of Scripture, because we are to gather together as a church. Now, 1 Timothy is, is one of the, the most relevant New Testament letters when you understand the mission, the organization, and the life of the local church. It's relevant, and it speaks to these things. And this book tells about prayer ministry, gospel proclamation. It deals with women in leadership. It talks about how to discipline leaders. Uh, it talks, and what we're going to look at today really are the qualifications of the leaders that a congregation puts in place. And you may not know this, but, but this congregation we're our congregational church. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but this congregation is responsible, I believe, to put leaders in place. And that is my, my position as your pastor. The leaders that are within our congregation, it's our job to put leaders in place. And, and, and 1 Timothy speaks to this. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 today, but I need you to stay in 1 Timothy 3 because we're going to evaluate what the Bible says in leadership. But I would like you to stand with me and let's read this text today. We're just going to read two verses together, though I want you to stay with me in, um, as we look at 1 Timothy 3. Now, if you're online at home, hey, go ahead and stand up. It's, even though you may be in your living room, let's just do that. Let's honor God's word by doing this. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes this. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at this passage. Okay, uh, I want you to notice what, what Paul says. He says, I hope to come to you, but I'm writing these things to you. So what are these things? Well, these things mentioned in verse 14 are, are really the instructions that Paul writes to Timothy, which really begins in chapter 2. 
Now, we're not, we don't have time today to, to walk through all those details, but if you want to really study this, you, you've got to go back to chapter 2 because that's, these things are referring from chapter 2 all the way through the end of chapter 3. Now, now these are God-given principles that, that Paul gives to Timothy that, that are meant to order the church. Now, I want you to look at verse 15. You see that word behave in verse 15. He says, I'm writing these things to you, so if I delay, you you may know how one ought to behave. Now, now basically, that's referring to the life and the practices of church leadership. And and look at this. This is so mind-blowing to me because the reason Paul was specific about conduct, because he says that the church is considered the household of God. Now think about that. Our church, this church is to be considered the household of God. And it it describes, this passage describes that we are the church of the living God. That's who we are. That's what God has done. We looked last week how God has, God started the church. And this is the, uh, the household of God, the church of the living God. And, 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 and think about this for a minute. God's word tells us that our congregation in Owasso and Tulsa is to be not only the church of the living God, but look at what this verse says, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now think about that. That our church is to be a pillar of truth for our community. The, the buttress, you know what the buttress is? A buttress of a house, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the support it's the main support that if the buttress falls, the whole thing falls. Let's think about that. That's our, that's our calling. I would say the church is critically important. If we, if we are considered and described as the, the, the household of the living God, the pillar of support for, for truth. Man, this is huge. And, and, and so when you think about this, the, the church, uh, you know, is, is critically important. Now, God gives us, in the scriptures, he gives us generalities on structure. But, but, with, but, but when it comes to the character of leadership, he gets really, really specific. And this makes sense because, because high on Paul's list here are the elders of your church. And, and, and the Bible clearly speaks to these characters. And it makes sense because if, if leaders drift away from doctrine, if leaders disobey the Lord, then, then guess what happens? It's like that great line in Remember the Titans, right? Uh, attitude reflects leadership, Captain, right? And so it's critical for leaders that are put in place in every area of this church that we know the Scriptures, that we live the scriptures, that, that our lives match this thing, this, this, what the scriptures say. And, 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 and so as, as leaders that, that are put in place that by this congregation, it's, it's critical that we, we actually live this out. And we've got to pay attention. John Stott says this, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power but love, not force but example. Not coercion, 
but reason, persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in, in the hands of those who humble themselves and serve. And when I think about the, the church, the responsibility of the church, that, that we are to be this leadership environment, God has called us to be leaders in a community, so much so that, that we are the pillars of truth. And, and with leadership, we are also to reproduce leadership. And, and I know that we all exercise this differently. We exercise, exercise leadership differently. And, and in this room, we are all different types of leaders. But I learned a long time ago that the second a person comes to faith in Christ, they're called to lead others to Christ. And, and this is why we need to understand, as, you, as we even look at these characteristics of leadership, we, we need to realize that these are characteristics that need to be evident in all of us but especially in those that are called to lead. Now, point number one is this, and, and, and I want us to think a little bit about this, but, but this is important to understand. God's word prescribes characteristics for leadership and leaves room for specific governance. Just think about that for a minute. When it comes to the scriptures, there are specifics when it comes to the characteristics of your leaders. But when it comes to the way a church is governed, it's different. And, and, and you know, it doesn't take, as you look at the landscape of church, it doesn't take too long to realize that, that churches are run differently. For example, you, if you look at a Methodist church, a Methodist church, uh, uh, most, the, the Methodist churches, local Methodist churches don't own their property. They're owned by uh, an outside denomination, the whole denomination. And so the congregation, though has a voice, um, they're really controlled by group, by people outside of their congregation. That's true among Catholics. That's true among uh, a lot of different churches that the congregation is really limited in their control and their, and their input in the life of a church. And that's not true of our church. We are a congregational church. Nobody outside of First Baptist Owasso tells us what to do. We are responsible. We believe as a Baptist church, we are autonomous. That means we own our own property collectively, like, I, it was interesting. We, we refinanced our house not too long ago, and the, and the lady said to me, hey, um, I need the proof of your ownership of the church. I'm like, I don't own the church. I don't I, I mean, we own the church. This, this church is not in my name, but I am set apart by God. I'm called by God. And the reason I knew that, that God called me to this church, is this congregation joined together and called me as your pastor. And, and, you know, we have multiple pastors here. But, but when it comes to the governance, it's interesting. Um, you have a lot of churches that are single elder-ruled congregations, like, like the church I grew up in. It was a smaller church. But as it grew, what we discovered is, look, we need more elders here. We need more pastors here. We need more leaders here. And, and so I watched a church go, grow from a small, single-elder-run congregation to a plural, plurality of elders. You know, um, there are some churches that are um, run by uh, a small group of elders. I've seen a lot of Baptist churches that they're actually run by a group of deacons. 
They're not really run by pastors. Deacons run the church, and they function as elders. And, and there's all kinds of ways, but here's what you see. And here's what's interesting, is I can point to churches that are run in different ways, and you see God's hand on Presbyterian churches. You see God's hand on some Methodist churches. You see God's hand on some Baptist churches, and they're all run incredibly differently. You might be going, okay, why do I need to know this? Because in our church... You've got to be involved. We are a congregational body. And as believers, it's our job, it's my job as your pastor to, to, to help us understand the scriptures. And I would say it's not good for people to go to church and not ever consider what the Bible says about their structure. And so I want us to do that, even today. That's interesting, um, when it comes to the leaders in the church, I want you to go back to 1 Timothy because I want you to see 1 Timothy chapter one. Because, and we're just, you know, for the sake of time, we're just gonna focus on the elders of the church and the leaders of the church. So, so I'm gonna back up a little bit in this passage as Paul kind of finishes with these two critical offices that we see in the life of a church. And those are elders and deacons. And it says, verse, verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. See that word overseer? That word is actually, uh, there's, there's another, a better translation of, well, there's a, another translation of the word. Overseer is a good translation, but you could also translate that bishop or guardian. Now, bishop, I don't like that term. They have funny hats to me, um, and I don't like those hats, really. But, uh, but, but really, the term could be described as bishop. And when you think about the office of overseer that the Bible speaks of, there's really five words that are used all through Scripture, and it's bishop, it's overseer, it's shepherd, it's elder, and it's pastor. Anytime you see those words in Scripture, they are describing the, the person that's called by God to lead the church or govern the church. Now, in Scripture, every time these words are used, they are describing this act of, of governing. Now, in Baptist life, we are a Southern Baptist church without apology, and I love that, and I love what we do around the world as Southern Baptists. We have our flaws, but the reality is in Baptist life, we have kind of hung on to the word pastor. That's been our favorite. Even though in the scripture, that's the least used term when it comes to the, all those terms. We, we've kind of hung on to that term. Now, it's interesting, as, as I think about this, the Bible, um, when it uses the term pastor, we understand that, that in that role of pastor, according to scripture, in a ruling capacity, that is a position that has been set aside for men. Now, um, now the Bible, I want you to understand this before, before you get mad at me, okay? Um, the Bible clearly reveals a complementary relationship between men and women. That, that we have a complementary relationship, just like God's design for the family. In, in, his, in his perfect design, he's designed a father, roles for a father, roles for a mother. Now, we understand there's brokenness in all that. But in God's design, that's his plan. This is the same for the church. Men and women are both equally created in the image of God. Both are gifted for works of service in the church. 
But I want you to understand the biblical office of overseer, the, govern, the, the, the leader of the church is, is, is to be fulfilled by men. Now, um, many ministries, I, don't, I want you to know, many ministries and many incredible opportunities are, are, are open to men and women, are available for men and women. And we've got plenty of work to do. But we need to understand that there, that's what the Scripture teaches. Now, now, it's interesting, as I've observed our Baptist practices, because let me tell you something we've done. We have kind of created this distinction that's outside of Scripture, in, especially in Baptist life. I've seen this, and not just in Baptist life, all over. We've made a distinction between pastor-elder which is the one called to rule in the church, and pastor-minister. We've made a distinction there. And, and now, um, we've shifted over time on that. That's, we've taken the term pastor and stepped outside of the biblical definition. And that's important to understand. Now, I don't have time to really go into the details of that at this time, because I want, what I want us to do is not miss the text. Because that term overseer, he goes to describe the characteristics of those like me that you put in, in you asked to lead the church. So look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, he must be above reproach. That means he's, the, the, the pastor's got to live a life that makes sense, that, that, that is consistent. But he must be the husband of one wife. Now, some people will take this and go, well, if you've been divorced, you can't be a pastor. And I don't think that's saying that at all. I think what this is saying is that you've got to be a one-woman man. Now, I think there are some pastors that the, the details of their divorce do uh, cause them to be disqualified. I think it depends. And we can talk about that later and wrestle about that later, but I, I think that's a, when the Bible speaks here of this, uh, this husband of one wife, he's talking about a, a one-woman man, a guy that's not a flirt, a guy that's, that is honoring his wife. Uh, he says right here, sober-minded. In the classical Greek, it means not mixed with wine, uh, but, but really they, they interpret this as he's temp temperate. He is, uh, um, he's, he's, he's thoughtful. He thinks about things. He should be self-controlled. This is interpreted as of sound mind. It describes a, a man with a sense of self-control. There's control in, in his life. You see the term, Paul, Paul writes, Timothy, this pastor should be respectable. This is like with modesty, orderly, or, or honorable, noble. These are who you should put into, play, into, into leadership roles. Hospitable. This literally means loving strangers. The pastor that is in your life should love strangers. You see, able to teach. You know, everyone in this office, not to say that, that we're all going to be great teachers, but, but everyone needs to be able to teach in the fact that when you hear false teaching or false doctrine, that you have leaders that go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not true. That's false. Not a drunkard, it says. This literally means uh, lingering with the cup. That, that's what the direct translation that, that, that it's, it's best to, uh, now, now we got to be clear, Baptists don't like this, but, but um, you know, 
the Bible actually doesn't say thou shalt not drink. Now, the Bible does say it's not, you shouldn't be drunk. If you move into drunkenness in any way, you're, you're drifting into sin. And, but, but, but the reality is you, you really should not be, be addicted to the cup. Now, for me personally, and I, I think it's best in my life, I don't drink at all. Because to me, it's a stumbling block, and, and I think that's a good path. But, but I've got to be biblically honest. The Bible just doesn't say, thou shalt not drink. But it does say, do not be a drunkard. It's clear on that. Not violent, but gentle. The person serving as an overseer should, should be one who responds gently to others, not quick to lash out. And, and this is an important character trait of, a, of, an, of an, an elder. Not quarrelsome. You know, they, they should model that John 13, 35 idea that they're going to know we're Christians by our love. You know, it goes, goes on, um, not a lover of money, Paul says. Basically, that describes that, that money really should not be a, a motivator for the leaders you put in place. Verse four, uh, verse 4, he must manage his household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church? So it's interesting, the, the, the pastor, the leaders that put in place, they have to manage their family. It's interesting when I think of history and my role as a pastor, this is the only job I know of, that if I fail at home, then I lose my job at work. You know, this is the only job that I can think of, really. That, that if I fail at home, I can't do this. And, and this is why I pray that as, as he, even as these younger ministers come on our staff that we go, man, your first ministry is your family. And I want to thank you. I just want to stop and say thank you. Because you're a church that has pushed me and helped me and held me account, hold, you've held me accountable to love my family well. And I'm, I'm grateful for you. It says in verse Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or maybe he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the, de of the, of the devil. Every believer uh, must grow spiritually, but it's important that, that leaders are tested over time. And when I think about the, as we, um, as we raise up leaders in the church, that we test them. And, and look, the Bible's unapologetic about deacons and about leaders in the church. They should be tested. Moreover, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Every leader in the church is called to this greater standard of life. We're to be witnesses to people outside our church. Now, folks, you may be going, okay, why is this important to me? It's, it's critically important. Because for me as your pastor, I need to be held accountable because we are pillars of truth for this community. And we've got to understand the church. So many people go, well, I'm part of the church big C. Now, I don't need to be a, a member of a church little C. That is a misunderstanding of what the Bible, how the Bible describes church. Because it's in the church little C where accountability takes place. It's where life, where the rubber meets, meets the road for life. And, this is, and, and it's critical for us as a congregation. And, and if we're going to build a church that, that is faithful after all of us are gone, 
then I'll tell you what, we better be raising up leaders that are true to the word of God. Okay, the Spicklemeyers are right over here. And if you don't know them, you talk about history of First Baptist Owasso. No offense, Earl, but he, he and Carl Worley are the two oldest members of our church. Earl was here one year after this church started. And when I look at what God has done through this couple over here, how, how they have been leaders in the church that have historically held the, the staff accountable and, and put leaders in place, that here we are 74 years later, and God has entrusted us to expand not only in Owasso and grow to multiple services, but we are in Tulsa as well. And God has blessed what we've done. And, and you know what? For us to follow Earl's example and say, look, if Jesus tarries, if, then we better be raising up a church that continues well after we're gone. You know what I love about being the pastor of this church, I'm the ninth pastor of this church. You know, Sue Blackwood, I think, is, will be in the next service, and, and, and her husband was pastor here for 23 years. And you know what? We have a history of being faithful. We've been, we've been given the heritage of a history of faithfulness. And what I wanna do is continue that. And that's why passages like this are important. Understanding the church like this is important. Now, when you think about these ministers, let me just summarize what we just read. You see, for, for elders, family's a priority. You see that? You see, for elders, authenticity is a must. You've got to have teachers that, are, that they, they take care of their families. They're authentic. It's a must. You've got to have leaders that boundaries are clear. This is critical for any leader that is in place. That those leaders have to have boundaries in their life. Now, all these things are good for you, for all of us, not just for leadership, because I'll tell you what, some of you need to be, become leaders. Uh, you're not leading like you should. And let's go, we, time's, life's too short. And these days are too critical for you. You gotta be a leader, come on. Let's step up to this calling that we have. Lifelong growth is understood. This is what's true of all of us, but especially for our leaders, that we're called to this lifelong growth. Now, let me, let me just unpack real quick what our church is. Point two is this. I only have two points today, sort of, okay? Um, but our church is an elder-led, congregational, representative form of church government. Now, you're, that's hard to remember, right? They tell you in preaching school, uh, create points that are easy to remember. Well, I didn't do that today. Okay, that's hard to remember. Let's think about it. Let's leave that up for a second. Our church has an elder-led form of governance. So, so you, have, you have a plurality of elders in your church. Now, the way we wrote our bylaws several years ago, there is a combination of laymen and paid staff that are, that are considered elders in the life of our, of our congregation. Now, those are, let me tell you who those paid staff are. It's me, Chad, 
Chad Balthrop, who's preaching this morning this same passage at Calvary today. It's Keith Davis, and it's Brad Ayler. Those are, those are men that are functioning in the life of our congregation as elders in the life of our church. But we also have a church council. We have other men who are leading our, the, the chairman of our ministry, of, of all of our ministry teams. Those are, are men in the life of our congregation that are laymen. That we, have, we have five major ministry teams in the life of our church, and they are led by men qualified that if, if all four of us are killed in a car wreck, uh, I know I'm a little morbid. I, we always ride separately when I go places, okay, because I'm kind of morbid. But, but I don't want to leave this church leaderless. But if something were to happen to the four of us, there are other men in the life of the church that could get up and preach and do that. Um, so we, we have this, we're an elder-led form of government. We're congregational as well. Congre- I, I've articulated as congregational representative because we're a large church. We're in multiple services and multiple locations. And, and, and you know, we're not going to come together and, and build a, choose the color of carpet. I don't even choose the color of carpet at this place. I mean, we have people that choose those things and the color of paint. But, but, but when it comes to our body, we have people from our congregation who serve on our finance team. So I want you to know, as, as, as staff here, uh, we just don't, um, I just can't write a check. We're held accountable for the way we spend our money. We're held accountable by people from our congregation for the way we treat our staff and hire our staff and, our, and the way we um, manage our properties and, the, and we steward what God has given us. And our bylaws lay this out. But I want you to know it's important for our congregation to be serving in these roles to be coming on these positions. And, and you know what? I need you to recognize your call to be a part of what's going on here. Because we are a congregational representative form of governance. We need you. No one outside of us, we're autonomous. No one outside of us is telling us what to do. Now, we cooperate with Southern Baptist churches all over the, the world, and we do things like send missionaries and disaster relief. If you go outside somewhere, I think it's out that way, uh, there's a disaster relief trailer, and that's part of our church, and we've run into disasters. Like if the hurricane, if the double hurricane punch is, uh, is devastating this week. Guess what? Our church will likely be called to send guys and people, men and women, to go cook and do meals. That's a kitchen out there. And it's likely that if it's a disaster in our nation this week, that our dollars that we give to the cooperative program, that's going to go to support. And we will be a part of responding to people in need. I love that. Now, most of the time, it frustrates me because pastors or Baptists are known as, oh, you don't drink and you don't dance. I think a lot of our people do both of those things. Probably, probably too much, okay? On both, dancing and drinking, okay? But the reality is, I need you to grow. I need you to understand what the Bible says. I would be irresponsible as your pastor to not turn our face to the scriptures and say, let's evaluate this. You evaluate me. You hold me accountable. And not just me, that when the Lord takes me home and the Lord finishes with me here, you, you, it, we have to put 
a leader behind me that follows the word of God. And if you don't know it, then I will break that chain of faithfulness. And we must not do that. And when you think about our church, here's what we know about this. Christ is the head of our church. And we're going to wrap up. Christ is the head of this church. Elders are in place in this church. Deacons are serving in this church. Ministry teams are working together in this church. And right now, our body is deployed and self-governing. And that's what's happening right now in the life of our church. And see, the reason this is important is because we believe the Bible is leading us and directing us and giving us insight, wisdom, and understanding. But here's what we need to do today. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray, and there, there's several things that I want us to pray for, and I wrote them down. We need to pray, first of all, for our staff, that we live godly lives. And I want to ask you to pray for our staff today. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation, and I'm going to pray in just a minute. And if, and if you're online, I want to ask you to, to, to pray at your house about these things. If you're in the room, I'm going to ask you to come down and pray that our staff lives godly lives. Pray that our church is biblically accurate. I pray that, that we are, till, till Jesus comes, standing on the word of God. I'm going to ask you to pray that we have boldness in this spiritual battle. Now, those aren't on the screen. Let me go through again. Pray that our staff live godly lives. Pray that our church is biblically accurate. And, I, and pray that we are bold in this spiritual battle. Now, what I want to ask you to do, if you're at home online, I want you to, as soon as we, I, I pray, I want you to pray at your house. For those in the room, I need you to, we got to get on our knees and pray for our church. You can pray at your seat. Because I realize it's kind of uncomfortable and, it's, it may get, and I hope it gets crowded. It needs to get crowded up here. But pray at your seat. But Joe's going to lead us in a song. And those of you that are, as soon as I pray, I want you to pray online. Let me just pray right now. Lord Jesus, move us right now. Lead us to pray right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.